this, this teaching has just profoundly changed my life uh, in the last few years. Uh, and I thought I'd share it today and it may be very useful to you guys in, as we're moving into that sort of post-COVID era. And we know there's a lot of people, a lot of lonely people longing uh, to be invited over. Is there not? Um, for, for, a, for a meal. I might, Tim, if you can find the first, first slide. So this, um, the, the teaching from this sermon comes from three amazing books that have recently come out, if you ever, all about reclaiming the, the, the sanctified ground of hospitality, which is what Christians used to do um, all across the world to minority, minority groups. And it really wonderful bo- uh, books. Um, so this is entitled Hospitality, Strangers Become Companions uh, at a Kingdom, Kingdom Feast. So... I start with the question, have any of you ever been invited to a dinner unexpectedly from someone you didn't know well, an acquaintance or a family, um, and you came away after that dinner and you felt a peace and a warmth in your heart? And you walked away feeling honoured, embraced, disarmed, peaceful and ready to face the world again. You may not even be able to remember what the food was. And this is really one of the gems of this whole sermon. Hospitality is not about the food. It's about the attitude of our heart in, in welcoming in the stranger. The word hosp or hospers actually means stranger and companion. It was a, it's a bi-stable. It's an unstable word. It means stranger becoming companion. And the word companion comes from panis, which means the one who broke bread with me. So in God's mind, a true friend, just like in Psalm 41, my brother who shared my bread has lifted his heel against me, betrayed me. In in God's mind, the one we break bread with is our covenant partner. It's our true friend. In contrast, have, ever, have, have any of you ever been in a city for work or for study and, and, and you really knew no one and you just longed? This happened when I went to Seattle as a young student. I was there for about eight weeks, but I just longed to, to be invited over to someone's family home for a meal. I, I, I never was until a British couple took pity off me and they, they weren't even Americans. Um, I'm not going to talk about America today. But... I will never forget the kindness of that British couple for inviting me around. And that, that one meal helped me finish off my, my internship in a very cold and, and, and lonely place. Uh, Meals on Wheels, wonderful organisation started by Christians headquartered in South Australia. They have a saying, and, and as they give you the meal from the kitchen to take out to the car, they have, they, they have a saying, the staff in the kitchen remind you that it's more than a meal. Please take some time to talk to the elderly as you, as you drop off. Take some time to see how they're going. Um, and that means more to them than the, the little uh, steak, and, steak and veggies in the, in the packet. Can any of you remember uh, as, as COVID lockdown started to open up in, in May and you started to be invited to an extended family barbecue, a lunch together? Put up your hand if that was a glorious experience. 
It was so profound, it almost felt like a theophany. You could almost feel Jesus was there when you saw all of your extended relatives and friends again. Can you remember this? So we crave this. It's no coincidence we are created for hospitality. We long to be invited to dinner by someone extremely important and tell our story. And I would argue that God himself, the Father, is the architect of hospitality and Jesus is the, is the master of ceremony. He invented it. G.K. Chesterton, I'm not going to uh, quote verbatim today, but he suggested the whole universe is actually a network of covenants in Christ and then everything else depends on that. So there are three profound Son of Man statements in the Gospels. And you'd be well to learn these. I... I, I can anyone tell me some of the Son of Man statements? There's three. So Mark mentioned one last Sunday. Yes, yes. So, um, amen, amen. So the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. So this is a purpose statement. If you've got nothing else to do when you're going on a long drive, meditate on the Son of Man statements. Because they're actually telling the true story of Jesus, but they're actually telling our story. There's a part, the Holy Spirit inside of you longs to seek and save the lost. There's another statement which we're very good at in the evangelical West. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. We love that one. We major on that one. And that's almost the criteria of eldership in the West. Are you a true servant? It's wonderful. I long for more servant leaders. But there's a third one, which is not a purpose statement, but it's a method statement. And we tend to put it in the wayside. In the, we, we tend not to see the significance of it. But uh, next slide, Tim. Son of man has come eating and drinking. So um, in Luke 7.34, if we just go to the... Uh, the, long, long, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. And you say, here is a... I'll just read it from my Bible. Behold, here is a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is vindicated by her children. Now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him, and he entered the Phar Jesus entered the Pharisee's house... And he reclined at the table. And there was a woman from the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. So here's my first point. If you highlight every verse where Jesus was either in someone's house sharing a meal or talking about a parable that resulted in a banquet or the sharing of a meal, or in the upper house, talking about how he longed to share a meal with us in glory, it's hundreds and hundreds of verses out of the 3,700 verses in the Gospels. So it's difficult for us just to relegate Jesus' hospitality eating as just something from the Middle East, which is what we're prone to do. If he wasn't at 
Peter's mother's house. He was at a Pharisee's house. If he wasn't at a tax collector's house, he was at Bethel with Mary, Martha and Lazarus. Or he was feeding the 4,000. Or he was feeding the 5,000. Or he was at the Last Supper. This time was incredibly precious to our God. He valued this time so much that he says he longs to do it with us again in the resurrection. And he's sharing meals with people who he's probably meeting for the first time. Most of the time, these are strangers that he did not know very well. And yet it was extremely successful. And why is that? The second major point I want to make is Jesus was hated perhaps just as much as claiming to be the Son of God. He was hated so much by the Pharisees because he did this. There's a type of religious spirit that wants to see away from the desert or someone on their knees for 40 days or someone who's suffered incredibly. But it's hard for us to, to believe that the God who created us longed to share a meal with us slowly and that was his modus operandus, mainly for ministry. Historically, we in the West have downplayed this. And I won't go into it, but one of the reasons we, I have had to rediscover the power of the Jesus who is a master of hospitality is it actually protects us from Gnosticism. Many of the letters in the New Testament are trying to warn the church about Gnosticism, which says all the spiritual things are important, but the physical world's not important. God doesn't care about the physical world, eating and drinking. It's nothing. If you continue in that line of thought, which many unfortunately have in the last 2,000 years, it actually results in the denial of the incarnation. And your effectiveness in evangelism becomes very weak. The enemy hates it when we enjoy the creation for his glory and give him the glory. So the second thing you see in the passage I just read out is Jesus actually came. He got an invitation from a Pharisee and he turned up. It's kind of like if you went to Baghdad as a Christian and a prominent imam from the mosque invited you to dinner, he's half an enemy, but there's a part of him who's actually intrigued, secretly intrigued what you're going to talk about. But he's an enemy. We know it was mainly the Pharisees that plotted to kill him. But he went. I remember I got invited to Ramadan in Adelaide a few years ago. And I didn't go because I didn't, I didn't understand Jesus in this message. The third thing I wanted to say from the story I just uh, wrote, read the intro, intro to is hospitality, in a very unusual way, breaks shame. So Martin is an expert on this. But shame is identity that is marred in us because of sin that is perpetrated again and again against us or sin that we have done again and again in ourselves till we eventually come to that conclusion, I'm not, a, I'm not allowed to go. I'm, not, I'm different. I, I'm not invited. I'm a darling. I'm left out. But Jesus in the gospel not only saves us from sin because he does not want any of us to perish, 
but he reinstates us with honour as a son in the house. And those two things we must become good at in the gospel message we present. Sometimes you'll see in the gospels, Jesus will break the shame first and then he will declare the person forgiven. Hallelujah. Sometimes he'll do it the other way around as in the prodigal son. But we must believe in the shame-breaking gospel as much as the sin-breaking gospel to see people transformed. And hospitality does not ask questions. When that woman comes around to the Pharisee's house, there's not a marshal standing at the door to double-check whether she's actually allowed to come in. There's another parable where where you do need something to get into the banquet. The blood of Christ, amen. But can you see the power of breaking shame without needing an intellectual agreement of whatever Jesus talks about? Or whatever Romans 1, 3 means. You don't need an intellectual agreement to share a meal at a Christian's home that may begin for the first time in your life. You may begin to believe that you're not a wretched despised, that you perhaps are of value because you're made in the image of? Amen. That's why Jesus majored in hospitality. He was continually breaking shame throughout all those little villages that he could declare forgiveness of sins. Now my fourth point, which is what this um, funny painting, funny slide illustrates, Jesus took time to do hospitality. And nothing's actually changed in the Middle East. But if you, if you get invited for dinner, right, they expect you to come around 2, 3 in the afternoon and then they'll get out some, like, uh, herbs. Then they get out some gherkins. Then some uh, feta, you know. Then some tabbouleh. Uh, then some hummus. And my wife knows all these things. I don't know them. Um, and, and it'll go on and on, and they're just resting. And, and it actually says, I, I've counted 20 times in the Gospels, it says Jesus reclined, he was, lying, he was lying down at a meal. Can you believe this? Lying down at a meal, and he would have a meal with these guys at a family's house or a Pharisee's house or wherever, and it would go for about six to seven hours and over that slow meal he would tell them profound truths about the nature of the kingdom of god it's like have you have you noticed that if you have a long drive with someone in australia this is the only way i can reconcile hospital you have a long drive with someone you often have a profound conversation when i used to take youth away to the flinders rangers with my dad we would we would purposely go the longest way so there'd be maximum discipleship <laughs> or, or uh, antics uh, uh, along the way. But there's no, because there's no agenda, the heart begins to open. You cannot, this is the, and this is, this is the, what I'm trying to get across today, this is love in action. You cannot say after being at a meal with Jesus for seven hours that he was using you. You cannot. You cannot say on your deathbed, oh he, was just, oh, he was just a proselytizer. Oh, he just gave out a tract and left. Oh, he just wanted me as a belt on his little Mormon badge. You cannot say that Jesus was using you. Because he sat there for seven 
hours slowly enjoying what the Father had provided. And in that time, he opened up your heart and put seeds that there may be a greater glory and a kingdom and a Father that loves you. You can see the power of hospitality. I won't, I won't read out all of the other recliner... T- well, uh, yes, I will, because I think it's important. Um, Matthew 9, Jesus reclined at table and tax collectors and sinners came and they were reclining with Jesus and the disciples. Matthew 26, um, a woman came up with an alabaster flask and poured it on his head as he reclined at table. Matthew 26, 20, when it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. Luke 7, we've just read that one. Luke 11, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went and he reclined at table. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, um, they said, Blessed everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Luke 22, 14, when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. So I don't know what you think of this. And like I used to relegate this to culture. Oh, this is Middle Eastern stuff. You know, we don't have to. But we don't have... We don't have to recline at table, but can you see the heart of Christ that's willing to do slow with us to save us from hell? Can you see the glory of the one who's willing to go slow? And wisdom is perfected, vindicated by her children. You cannot tell me his ministry wasn't successful. Our biggest problem in short-term mission, everyone wants to rush over and they suddenly get over there. Mark will tell you this in Halmahira. But what is actually required of you to do the Father's will is to take time to have a meal with someone. How many of us are just in a rush to leave after church or a rush to leave a friend's house? What is it that you're rushing away to? That's in the deepest will of God. So that's the classic paradox of mission that I I won't go into. But we, like Christ, must be urgent to slowly share a meal with someone. Urgent to get rid of all our baggage and allow that person to tell their story over a two or three hour meal. And you watch what happens. Imagine if you were fasting and praying for a strategy for Lobethal. You know, Lord, shall I set up a basketball court? Shall I set up a cafe? Lord, shall I fast for 80 days? You know, imagine if the Lord said, all I want you to do is every year invite a new family to your home and have a meal with them. And watch me work my glory. So the final point is hospitality facilitates salvations. Um, do we have, Tim, do we have the last part of that? I can read it. But after the woman washes Jesus' feet, Jesus turns toward the woman and he says, Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. He wasn't great at hospitality. But she has wet my feet with her tears, wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. 
But she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You, you did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. She loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Hallelujah. You see how he broke the shame so he could forgive her sin. And this is the second point, profound point that my wife had to teach me. You cannot do everything for the person you invite, otherwise you're actually dishonouring and, and, and un- you're disempowering them as a human being. Very hard for, for me to get my mind around this. Notice Jesus allows her. He doesn't need anyone to clean his feet, but he allows her to clean his feet by honouring her as a person that has chosen to wash the Lord's feet so that she may hear the message of forgiveness. So, for example, sometimes um, my wife would invite some, some Saudis over for dinner and our normal response would be, oh, no, we'll do everything. No, don't bring nothing, bring nothing. No, we've got it all, you know, we've got, we'll have everything ready for you. But they said, no, please, can I bring a dish from my own culture? And by allowing them to bring a dish, you're actually honouring that the Father has put something of glory, fallen the world though he is, in every nation. And for some of these minority ethnic groups, I tell you, the only thing they have left is their amazing food. The rest is a pile of rubble. But by honouring them and allowing them to bring that meal, and then they see how badly you are at cooking or, or good you are at cooking their type of food, you're honouring them as a person before the Father and it opens up their hearts to share. So it's not so simple as grace versus merit, but Jesus allows the woman to wash his feet so that then, reinstated as a person, she may begin to believe her sins have been forgiven. There's a, um, a wonderful Aboriginal woman, Vera. Does anyone know? Vera, she's come to our church many times. I've only met her a, a, a few times and once in hospital. But Brenton will agree with me, it wasn't the theology, but it was sharing the meal and having Vera and her children stay at Brenton Libby's house that broke the shame that for the rest of her community up in Tennant Creek and in Adelaide, she can say in her mind there are Christians in the Adelaide Hills who love and care for Aboriginals. Hallelujah. I've seen many hospitality salvation transactions in my life. I'll I'll, I'll just briefly share two. Um, One time we went to a city... Uh, it was built originally by Solomon, called Palmyra. You can read about it in Chronicles Talmud. It's halfway between Damascus and the Euphrates. I was with a guy called Paul. He's an electronic, uh, electrical engineer. We went to a hill and we prayed, Lord, show us someone we can meet today and share the gospel with. We prayed on top of this hill. Um, uh, we came down the hill and there was a Syrian man from Palmyra waiting on a motorbike. And he said, come to my house for dinner. We came into his house, it was like a little oasis, you know, like in Song of Songs, white walls, there was a canal, 
that watered his dates. He had figs. Uh, he had the most beautiful cheese. He gave us this long meal when it went, went into 11 p.m. at night. And then at 11.30 at night, he locked all the doors and windows because he didn't want anyone else to see him from the village, any of the other Muslims. And he sent his wife and children away. And he said, how can I be forgiven? We hadn't even mentioned a thing. And he accepted an Arabic Bible and we prayed forgiveness for him. That, that slow meal brought about the trust that he, I don't know what's happened to him now, ISIS destroyed that city. Praise, praise God if him and his family got saved. Another time we were, we were doing a, a faith walk, we reached Norlunga and my friends were very, very hungry. I said, come on, God will provide, God will provide. And I said, let's just go out to the Norlunga jetty and we'll just rest for a while and, and, uh, and, and have a prayer and then we can go to bed and we'll call the night a night. We get down to the end. I, I swear every word is true. If James was here, we'd testify. We get down to the end of the Norlunga jetty and right at the end, there was only three of us, a three Saudi Muslim students and each of them had Arabic coffee and uh, some dates and each one of us sat there for the next hour and each one of us got to share the gospel with those guys and we went to bed not hungry now this is another whole topic and i'm running out of time but there is a there is a hospitality salvation transaction remember when jesus sends out the disciples he says bring what and he says when you go into the house what are you meant to do Eat and drink whatever they can't bring our own evian. We can't bring our own gluten-free bre bread. We can't, we can't be completely self-contained, self-controlled. It's very hard for them to accept the gospel from us. There's some kind of transaction. I don't know how to explain it. It's all through the gospels. Jesus is sitting and she asked, he asked that woman at the well for a drink. She hears the gospel. There is some mystery to the transaction hospitality we receive from them and we share the gospel. But it's hard for us to receive. It's easier for us to put on a massive soup kitchen and cook a big, big uh, rice and chicken and give it out to a whole lot of refugees. But it's much harder for us to do what Jesus mainly did which was go to the stranger's home and receive hospitality and then tell them something profound about the nature of the Father. So what are the, some of the barriers? It says, in, it says in the book of Hebrews, do not neglect to show hospitality. Jesus says when you prepare a banquet, don't invite your workmates or the people you want to be promoted to or the people that are in your social. Jesus says when you have a banquet, invite the... Yes, yes, let's quote it verbatim. What does he say? The, yeah, the, the poor, the blind, lame and the crippled because they cannot repay you but you will be, you will be, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Don't let inconvenience or lack of resources stop you doing awesome hospitality. You will be repaid double a thousandfold over 
in the resurrection of the righteous. Because hospitality opens hearts. Hallelujah. Some of the barriers can be time. Some of the barriers can be fear. In California, the biggest problem with hospitality in the church is perfectionism. People are too afraid that if their kitchen isn't perfect or the lounge room isn't perfect or the meal isn't absolutely amazing, they are too afraid to invite anyone over and so you never get invited. But you see, that perfectionism is actually not allowing Jesus to be Lord. And allow Jesus to multiply the loaves and the fishes. So I encourage you, when you're in the kitchen, pray, Father, use this kitchen for your glory. This is your kitchen. Use this lounge room for your glory, Father. This is your lounge room that one day I can have a stranger here and they would, they would feel your love. Let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.